City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, City Limits, and we're on the air for another week. Um, and it's the first Wednesday of the month. I'm sure everyone knows that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, therefore, it's, uh, it's Transport Day. We've got John McPherson coming in, in the second half of the program. Uh, we've got, we've got uh, Zeb Peake here in the first half of the program because he's in the studio. I'm Kevin Healy. I'm in the studio. Meg Kimber is in the studio because Karina's laid up. Hope she's okay. But uh, mm-hmm. wish her well if she's listening. If she's smart, she's not. Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Meg's been dragged in, so to speak, and she's doing the paddling for us as well. So Good it's morning. Great. Yeah, and, thanks, Meg, for coming and in. We've, and we've also got a second guest in the first half, or a couple of second, well, second and third guests in many ways in the first half of the show, Zeb. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, Michelle and John Marori coming on, uh, Michelle Jervis and John Marori coming on in the first half to talk about the Stop the Northeast Link um, campaign that they're running um, and everything bad about the Northeast Link project. So can't wait for that. Perfect for city well, limits. So yeah. they're, what, they're running everything bad about the Link or, um, oh no, they're going to tell they're, us what's bad about They're going to tell us, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just pour some tea while we're here as well. Everyone, everyone want tea today? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. What are we drinking today? We're drinking straight jasmine today. Oh, that's my favourite. Chine- Chinese mm-hmm. jasmine. You 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 picked my favourite because last last week I didn't want any tea, and you're like, oh, this will get this will get Meg for sure. That's right. Yeah. She yeah, won't absolutely. be here this week, so it's <laughs> yeah, very we'll good. <laughs> Thanks very much. No, hang on, can, can we reach over there? Hang on, just, this is going to cause a bit of confusion in the street. Yeah, listen, there we, I've done it. We've got all these berries. I see now we've got to get over <laughs> passing on tea and things. Um, um, yeah, a couple of things. Oh, you have anything to raise either of you? Because I've got a couple of things I want to talk about. Obviously, but, yeah. I'll go for it, Kevin. Well, I'll go for it. Look, there. Are, for, kicking off with their old mate, the Herald Sun. Um, <laughs> It had two letters on Thursday last week, uh, one attacking the fact that, and we can talk to John about this later, that Metro Trains and Yarra Trams got all these performance bonuses, millions in bonuses, while during COVID when no one was on the system. So you know, they, re- they got bonuses for a period when they didn't really have to even stop most of the time. <laughs> and another letter thanking the state government for rejecting the AGL proposal mm-hmm. at Western Port. So they're two good letters in, in mm. that sense. But I raise that because if you were, uh, it's, it's an encouraging sign. It means some people don't just read the Herald Sun because if you just read the Herald Sun, you would have had no idea of either of those items. They, re- they reported neither of them. Wow. That's weird that they put the letters in then. Yeah, so it's their, you know, okay. it's their usual, isn't it? Um, mm. Another one, though, I found really interesting. This, this is right up there in the optimism department, in my opinion. Um, Moran, the aged care home sort of entrepreneur, is putting up these, is building these two state-of-the-art Georgian heritage darling house uh, is being turned into this. It's got well, it's got a, a great aged care home that boasts seven residences, complete with French parquetry floors, tiles from Spain, Victorian marble fireplaces, and the latest technology. And it's goes on about how absolutely wonderful they are. And you can get into them for two to four million, 
That's a bargain. Plus <laughs> 2000 a month service fee for nurses and things to look after you. Hmm. But this is the bit where I think it's, it, this, this, this takes optimism to its greatest heights, I would have thought. You go into two to four million on a ninety-nine year lease. <laughs> now, mm, what else do they do to keep people alive? A, in person, <laughs> a person going into aged care taking a ninety-nine year lease, I think, is right up there on the optimism mm. department. Yeah, or they've got some sort of Lazarus machine yeah. <laughs> being developed. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So there you are. Mm. Um, oh, by the way, just as a my, passing, because I know sometimes you people work in. Um, well, you don't use you people in that sense, but you know what I mean. Um, both, both of you at times work in hospitality, I imagine. And, um, and you'll be pleased to know that the hospitality industry, restaurants, cafes, retailers are calling for the minimum wage bit, uh, this year to be abandoned altogether. Mm. Of the, now, it's interesting. They say on one hand, you know, you have the pressure of saying the economy's going well, it's great, it's coming out, it's in, mm-hmm. building it up. But then when they want to stop a wage, they say, well, it's not going too well at all. It's not going well enough to give workers a wage rise. Yeah. Um, wage rises they, haven't yeah, really been to, a priority for a while. They seem to want it both ways, don't mm. they? You get that feeling. Now, I would in the next um, couple of next few minutes like to say something about, of all places, Greenland. Okay. That I, the place that Donald Trump thought he was going to buy. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it, came, it came into the news when Donald Trump offered to buy it. It has been in the news in the sense that uh, ten, well, ten. It's been in the news because people have talked for ages about the permafrost, and that's where most of the mm. permafrost is and melting, and that that releases methane apart from CO two, but methane very dangerously, and it it, it, it impacts on the world environment. Uh, and ten, well, it's more than ten years ago now. I think it's closer to twelve when Philip Sutton and um, David Spratt wrote their book Code Red and warned about what would happen if the if the Greenland if the Greenland um, uh, melted. Right. Um, so, so but it's interesting. The background it, to Donald Trump wanting to buy it is interesting because Greenland actually is a dominion of you know it, it's run from Denmark because it's only a very small population. There's only eight hundred and something thousand or whatever people there, and they haven't got an economy to which to base independence as such. But that's now been discovered. There's an Australian bloke called Greg Barnes, not the lawyer who runs around, but this bloke's a geologist, and he he's um, involved in companies there, and it has the second richest rare earth collection in in the world, apparently. Um, and of course, rare earths are a worry to the United States because they're frightened that China has most of them, and they're. China could take over and control the world because they're used for so many things in modern technology. But more particularly, they're used heavily by the military. Mm. And uh, this bloke, Barnes, in fact, met Trump. And a couple of days later, that's when Trump offered to buy it, oh. which is oh, interesting. Um, wow. Um, so it was, he was offering to buy it for mainly, I would think, U.S. military purposes. Yeah. Probably not as mad as, he, uh, you know, as people put him out at the time. Mm. But they have the, all these rare earths. But the other side of what's happening there at the moment is there's another Australian company called Greenland something or other um, run by a bloke. Uh, it's called Greenland Minerals. And it's run by it's got uh, it's run primarily from Australia. And in fact, there's so many Australian companies up there at the moment doing getting into this rare earth business that someone suggested Australia should apply to be in the Arctic um, the Arctic local group because there's so many Australian groups up there um, doing it. So these are stuff we don't really know about. Mm. But Greenland Minerals 
is in fact, as it says here, it's a minnow in Perth, but it's a huge player in Greenland where it's project and is the local, it's called the Fanfield, or K-V-A-N-E-F-I-E-L-D anyway, project, promises to, to bring 700 jobs to a region where the nearest and biggest town is just 1,300 residences and where the population has then, and then he talks about all the great things it's going to do, the way it's going to improve the economy, they could become independent with all these things happening. Mm. The only problem is it's going to have uranium and rare earths and... Uh, and there's a bit of a there's a there's a, not a bit of there's a major environmental opposition to this up in Greenland, mm-hmm. and in in fact the opposition has been so strong that a snap election's been called. Wow. The gut the current government supports all this this resource um, extraction, extraction uh, and the environmental consequences of it. Uh, the the opposition in in the, which now looks likely to win the election opposes all that. Mm. Although Greenland's hoping one, if, if they win, it can talk them into uh, changing their minds. But that's a current situation. And the election, in fact, is on the 6th, which was, was probably today their time. So we'll get that result pretty quickly. Mm. But Greenland's becoming really interesting in terms of, uh, of both rare earths but also environmental struggles again. Because one mm. imagines if you, can, if you start having all those mines running around in mm. Greenland, where the permafrost is and the you know the Arctic's melting anyway, it, uh, the consequences could be quite disastrous. Absolutely, a recipe for disaster there. Yeah, and that old argument of you know providing jobs, it just it doesn't make sense either because no. it's it's always temporary, mm. and you know you can you can make jobs. I mean, natural disasters or even oil spills and things can create <laughs> can jobs. create jobs it doesn't mean that it's a good thing <laughs> yeah and the, dam- the the jobs are temporary but the damage is permanent mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well capital punishment provided jobs there were hangmen and uh, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing yeah, yeah lots of so. lots of things provide jobs yeah yeah, yeah. so but that, yeah that's the old argument of course what is going to how many jobs is going to create and, and mm-hmm. they always seem to the, the number of when they get approved, the number of jobs never quite seems to match what they promised. Mm. Mm, that's true. That it's, happened with the um, the Dani promised jobs. It mm. went from like four thousand to <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't know the exact numbers, yeah. but it yeah. definitely went down and down. <laughs> yeah, so that's the situation with Greenland. But so it, keep it keep an eye on it because, as I say, the election results in the next will probably come out in the next couple of days. It doesn't get much coverage in our media, but. Um, there's lots happening up there. In what fact, there's heaps of Australian companies, as I say, extracting and. Mm. Yeah, yeah we, it's, there's a bit of it's quite a blind spot in Australia, isn't it, about um, our activities overseas and um, what that, you know, what that sort of constitutes specifically, like mm. Papua New Guinea and you know historical kind of like, um, yeah, uh, historical kind of. Um, Activities of Australia, whether commercial or, or political, or you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Australia yeah. definitely seems to be we seem to be experts in extractivism, which isn't mm. really something to be that proud of. Linus, of course, is you know based in Western Australia, but doing rare earths over there. But also in Malaysia, it's run into lots of trouble with the with environment over there and the government. So there's a clash on between its government and Linus about the same thing. Mm. But but America, particularly under Trump, but probably still, America is certainly um, trying to seduce, or not more than seduce, it's, it's encouraging Linus to come there because of, the, because of its need, of course, for the military use of mm. rare earth. So um, they're used in, they, they could also used in electric cars. They can be used for some good things, but 
from America's point of view, the main purpose would be for its own military. Mm. They don't want China to get control. So, so Greenland's going to become increasingly important. Mm. Um, and you know, we may see certain events around there with the, the big powers sort of pulling in all sorts of directions, I, I suspect. But mm. anyway, we'll be interested to see the result of this election and whether the the environment party that's opposing the government uh, gets up. But the, mm. the, the early suggestion is it will. That sounds promising. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah, they, but you know we see over and over again that that where there is that where the resources are, there's always a, a push to be extracting them, even if yep. your government does agree with it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of same, um, BHP, our old mate, um, a big Australian who we all love, bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter. Um, <laughs> is facing a groundwater challenge at its iron ore mines after detecting the same dangerous chemicals that have been found at Australian Defence Force sites and on Victoria's troubled Westgate Tunnel Project. And Western Australia's Department of Water and Environmental Regulation has raised concerns about a potential threat to human health, including to mine workers and the environment, in ordering remediation work and more detailed risk assessment. The contamination involves per and polyfluoro fluoroalkyl alkyl substances known as PFAs, widely used in firefighting foam. And they, this is because they, they do their own fire, have their own firefighting equipment there, so it's, they have caused it um, and considered potentially carcinogenic. There is also evidence of asbestos contamination and pure diesel has been found sitting on the surface of the water table below a decommissioned power station, but it goes on, but... It seems that all their minds, you know, the, these are the people who at the start of the mine say there'll be very little environmental impact, of course, and mm. um, as indeed, um, as indeed, thanks, I just dropped something on the floor and, and Jim's, Jim's doing a wonderful job picking it up. Um, and um, the uh, down at the at Western Port, for instance, the AGL proposal, they, they, they always say things like the environmental impact will be minimal. Mm. Now, that concedes there will be an environmental impact, I would have thought, mm-hmm. and then minimal becomes relative to what you think's minimal and what you don't think's minimal. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty uh, vague term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would think if you're going to have pollution, the ideal level is zero. That would be great. Naught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> and that seems to be the minimal we should have. Yeah. Ditto, and you probably saw this is on the news. The I probably may well have been the SBS news, which runs these sort of stories, but. Emergency crews in central Florida were working on Monday to prevent an environmental catastrophe at a leaking reservoir that risks sending millions of gallons of contaminated wastewater toward nearby homes and into Tampa Bay. More than 300 homes near the site of an abandoned phosphate mine and fertiliser plant in Manatee County were evacuated as Governor uh, Ron DeSantis declared a state of emergency to free up um, funds to tackle the the crisis. Mr DeSantis said emergency workers were pumping about 125 million litres of contaminated water daily out of a waste reservoir that had sprung a, sprung a, a growing leak in its plastic lining. Environmental groups fear the release of millions of litres of nutrient-rich water into the ocean could trigger a deadly red tide or algae bloom that kills marine life. But in the report the other night, it doesn't say in that story, but there's two others near it that they're afraid are going to go the same way. And if they go, the catastrophe would just be overwhelming. Mm. Uh, and fishermen were talking about the fact that you know it could totally destroy their, their well, both their environment and their income. So. Mm. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. More... Um, 
more repercussions of capitalism on Indigenous land, um, First Nations lands around the world, mm-hmm. including in America and yeah, Canada yeah. and yeah, it's well, like again on the NBN Pacific Northwest the, um, salmon country. The NITV news last night. They again MacArthur River, which we've talked about a number of times, particularly with Dave Sweeney. I mean, the people were talking about how it, how important it is to them as a you know in culturally, mm. and the damage that's being done. There's currently you know a proposal to expand the mine there, and uh, the government's approved it, but there's been an appeal, and that's where they're at at the moment. But also, what the story didn't mention last night either, of course, is that a few years ago the company actually redirected the river. I mm. mean, so the river, if if they go if at the end of it. They go back to rehabilitate the the area uh, post mine. Then they really should put the river back where it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to think if the river is so important to the indigenous people, then obviously moving it and, uh, and yeah. changing its course would also have been a total insult to the local indigenous population, which was said at the time, but ignored, yeah. of course, by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So there we are. Well, look, let's uh, let's. That's about it for the rave. No other. Anyone else want to rave about anything at all? <laughs> Till we go on to transport, we only go on to the North East Link very shortly. We'll hope we, we're hoping people don't go on to it because we hope it doesn't get built. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it, the government is still is letting out tenders or calling for tenders at the moment, so they seem pretty determined to push ahead with it. Mm-hmm. But we'll find out more about that after the break, Seb. Yep, yep, another environmentally destructive project to talk about. <laughs>
Okay, back on City Limits. Um, you've just been listening to the song Friends with Feeling by Alice, Alice Skye. Um, and now we're going to have John and Michelle from Stop the North East Link campaign on the line to talk about um, their campaign and the North East Link project. So welcome, John and Michelle. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Um, so... Does one of you want to start and just give a little introduction to what the North East Link project is? Yes, um, well, I'm happy to. Yeah, go ahead, Michelle. North East Link is a connection between the um, Metropolitan Ring Road at Greensboro and it travels via the city of Banyul and is a... Um, a significant surface road and trench, and then mm-hmm. it goes into a tunnel um, at Mile Plenty Road and um, surfaces at Bulleen Road and connects with the um, uh, Mon- with the Eastern Freeway and feeds um, another 120,000 vehicles into the Eastern Freeway. But while it does this, it is destroying... Um, significant um, remnant bushland and displacing um, hundreds of people from their homes and impacting thousands, many, many thousands with adverse adverse um, construction uh, impacts. And it's just a... Um, it's not a solution to our transport issues. So it's, um, it doesn't stack up and it's an incredibly damaging project. Yeah, and so the North East Link, if it does go ahead, is going to be the biggest road project um, ever, I think, in Victoria to be made. Yeah, and I, I actually had left out a, 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 another significant part of the project that the government really doesn't talk about much is the um, effective tripling of the Eastern Freeway um, you know, extending it in some areas to 24 lanes wide, which is, you know, one of the largest freeways or compares mm. to large freeways in America. Yeah, and, and, that, then, and actually, sorry, that also removes any possibility of ever getting a railway line up the Eastern Freeway because it would take all that yeah. all that land. Yeah, and it, and it stops at the um, choke points at Double Street and the Mullum Mullum Tunnel, so it's... Um, it's just encouraging car congestion or forcing the government into, um, you know, building the controversial east-west link. It's like it'll just be an on-ramp for the east-west link. So it's um, it's part of the jigsaw of building more and more freeways, which is definitely something we don't want to see. Yeah, OK. Um, John, do you have anything to add about the some of the... I suppose the myriad reasons why the Northeast Link is um, a bad idea. Oh, it's a it's a shock of an idea. It, uh, uh, I can give a little bit of history in that uh, um, in the 1950s um, the, there was a plan to put uh, freeways up all the. Um, there's a huge uh, freeway plan to put them up all the creek valleys. In river valleys, 
Uh, luckily, that was uh, uh, Mr. Hamer realised that that would be incredibly destructive, and uh, Hitler's Hitler's office. So he um, he cancelled most of those freeways, but some are left. Um, when I first came to Melbourne, uh, I noticed that uh, I couldn't work out why anyone lives here from the uh, you know, enjoyment point of view. And uh, uh, but then I realised that they had. Uh, beautiful river and creek valleys which are being destroyed by road building. Unfortunately, we've lost quite a few of them and they, um, with the, they've been uh, put underground in barrel drains and eventually uh, there'll be something uh, to come of that. But look, the, the, uh, the government... Uh, passed the, the Transport Integration Act some time ago and it, it looked very nice, but uh, um, the North East Link is a flawed, it's completely flawed. It would uh, contravene uh, nearly every objective of the Transport Integration Act. It would increase car dependency at the expense of public transport and active transport, so that's cycling, for instance, and walking to work or to education, and it would diminish uh, the public transport share of all trips. So, you know, I think it's uh, really a, a disaster of a project. The, as I'm, uh, I'm a retired neurologist, but I also have a degree in environmental science, and I know that uh, the uh, um, amount of, uh, of uh, air pollution local air pollution, not to, even talking about greenhouse at the moment, but local air pollution will increase, well, they say will increase 2.5 times, but I'm sure it's going to be more than that. Um, it's going to be a, a long time to get rid of uh, uh, in the internal combustion engine, particularly diesel, which is uh, which produces uh, very poisonous uh, uh, air pollution. And for the first time for a long time, I saw a, uh, a pall of photochemical um, smog over the city with the increased traffic uh, just recently. So I think that uh, if you're interested in uh, a long and healthy life, I think you have to stop this project. Mm. Yeah, I noticed um, Corey Hannett, who's the uh, Director General of the um, government's major transport infrastructure authority, um, said just last week that we are in the final stages of the tender process with the two big consortiums as part of that. So the government obviously is pushing ahead. How how strong is your campaign, and and how confident are you that you can you can win this? Um, well, I, uh, we, we have an alliance of a number of different um, organisations, and that are very interested in stopping this entirely. I mean, it's, this is a $20 billion project. I say $16 billion, but I'm sure it's going to be more than that. Mm. If you add together all the... Uh, remember, you can, it's very hard to do business while you're driving on the freeway or on the tollway. Um, you have to get uh, to, uh, to do anything. You have to get to buy things. You have to get onto the arterial roads and then onto the suburban roads. And to do that, uh, it's, the arterial roads are already chock-a-block. Uh, if you yeah, look at... Can I just... Yeah, go ahead, Michelle. 
there is a, there is a growing campaign against the um, the northeast link as it becomes more apparent how damaging it is and how it's you know destroying our natural environment and impacting health without really achieving traffic benefits and it's um you know, we're part of Stop Northeast Link Alliance, which includes community groups and um, interested residents all along the corridor. And we're um, meeting with um, business groups. We're meeting with local councils that have been locked out of the process. And there is a growing um, backlash against the project and its lack of transparency and accountability. And it's, uh, it's an incredible risk for Victoria that these consortiums will have to take on. And it's, um, you know, we're busy uh, highlighting the, 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 um, the impacts which the government tends to hide. And we have um, letterboxing throughout the impacted suburbs we're doing um, petitioning events at local shopping centres and we're just trying to engage with the local community and local councils and other community groups at every opportunity that presents itself. Yeah, okay. And there are um, quite a number of people that will be d directly affected by the construction of the North East Link, is that right? There will be um, people that... Uh, are forced to relocate their homes um, or will be living for a significant significant period of time um, with the noise of construction going on. Um, are yeah, you in contact with some of those local people? Yeah, I, I'm, um, I know personally of families that are not having their homes acquired but they are forced to move out because their homes have been rendered unlivable due to the construction impacts. And these, if the project proceeds in its current form, these impacts will be occurring for um, seven years. So it's a, you know, a long-term project. And the other thing is, during the environmental effects statement hearing, the sheer scale of the... It, it became clear that the sheer scale of the project that many like hundreds of thousands of people could potentially be impacted because it, the project directly affects 30 suburbs, like it, it just from the sheer size of the project. So it's, um, as John mentioned before, the air pollution impacts uh, will definitely be noticed um, in the city of Banyul and in the city of Manningham, and the other municipalities along the Eastern Freeway. So it's a, it's, it's a deliberate... It's a project that is deliberately harming people's um, health and causing tremendous stress to uh, residents that live along the corridor. And it's a 29-kilometre corridor, so yeah. it's, it's, it's huge. And the tunnel's six kilometres, I think, isn't it? Um, and... Um, you know those tunnels have exhaust exhaust panel. They have exhaust chimneys at some point, or exhaust coming out somewhere. They have to. Do we know where those places are going to be? Because people near them are going to cop all that pollution. Yeah, well, there's one in um, uh, north of 
Lower Plenty Road that's located in the Simpson Army Barracks. And there's another one along Bolleen Road, which is um, in the middle of parklands and private secondary schools, so that there's a lot of concern for residents living around the uh, tunnel stacks. And it's also, at the moment, there is um, no pollution control equipment planned to be fitted. Um, it, it can be retrofitted at a later date, but that's only after air pollution has been um, proved. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not best practice. Yeah. And um, so the project, is that in early works now? What stage of construction and uh, yeah, The early works are underway. Mm -hmm. There's um, uh, a lot of works uh, have occurred in the northern section of the project around Yulambi, uh, McLeod and Watsonia and heading up to Greensboro and also in Bully. And that work has involved the moving of um, high-voltage power lines, the repositioning of large trunk sewers and water mains. And it, it, it's quite significant works that um, uh, has also involved a loss of um, a lot of trees and uh, the loss of access to of people to their homes. And it's, you know, very disruptive works. Mm -hmm. um, John? Uh... Yes. So we've known for quite a long time now about um, this idea of induced demand in creating more roads. Um, people just tend to drive more and the roads will end up um, becoming as congested as the road system was originally. Can you talk a little bit more about the transport planning aspect of the North East Link? Uh, well, the, the North East Link is a very flawed project because... Um, um, it is based on a 1940s, 1950s concept of uh, that people will want to uh, drive everywhere, uh, driver-only vehicles. Uh, they, uh, we've recognised for over half a century that they're going to gradually disappear um, and uh, we'll be left with uh, a white elephant that uh, no one will want. Uh, basically, the northeast link. It's uh, the the fine particle pollution is one problem, and uh, that's going to be around. Uh, it's, it, if you're going to invest in in a transport system, why would you invest in one that's going to kill 1,700 deaths per year in Australia, caused by vehicle pollution? And I think that uh, a lot of it will come from the northeast link. Um, only 1,300. Uh, a year die from road accidents. So, in fact, the majority of, um, of illness and death, and there's chronic illness too, which will affect uh, uh, productivity, but the majority of illness and death from road transport at the moment is uh, coming from uh, fine particle pollution. Mm. And as Michelle said, of course, also the other, in, in terms of transport planning, and they're always very clever at it, the roads authorities, but once this is built with all those massive lanes on the eastern freeway, as Michelle said, the pressure to construct the east-west link becomes inexorable. Uh, yes, but I, I would predict that, uh, that that's 
uh, more than 10 years away, and by then, hopefully, we'll uh, be more intelligent about trying to uh, develop a transport. We were saying, well, yeah, but we were well, saying we that 10 years ago. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so who, uh, who well, knows, yeah. Well, look, yeah, the I, think, yeah, the I think the tragedy is that it also, building this freeway means you have to keep following up with more freeways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, the on-ramp to the... Um, you know, the, the east, east-west link and potentially even Corridor C of the northeast link because it takes so much of the transport budget that worthwhile public transport projects are delayed. And it, in, in actual fact, the northeast link is inconsistent with the, um, with the metropolitan rail loop because it's... They have to cross. Mm. Oh, sorry. There's, yeah, there's a bit of background noise there. Yeah, um, people walking past. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, we're yeah, getting to the end of our time, um, so we might have to wrap up soon. Do you want to just finish with um, telling listeners how they can either join the campaign or uh, support it in any way? Yeah, well, we'd welcome people joining the Stop Northeast Link Alliance. And we, that's got a Facebook page and a web page that they can, people can look up. And we're more than welcome to talk about the project and let them know what is going on. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm a member of the North East Link Community Liaison Group. And that's a group that's supposed to consult with residents. But so far, I have to say that... Um, that consultation is poor, and I'd be calling on the, um, the state government and the North East Link project to actually make these community liaison groups more effective and to listen to what the community wants and to answer their concerns. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much, uh, John and Michelle, for coming on the show. Um Sorry that there was a little bit of background noise, but um, the topic of the conversation was so much worth it. Um, so thank you again. And, yeah, people can go to Stop Northeast Link Alliance, um, search out on the web to find out more, and we'll put it uh, a link in our show notes yep. as well. And good luck with the campaign. Well, thank you, thank very, you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, so we're going to go to a break, and then we'll be back with uh, John. John McPherson. It's been 30 years since the Royal Commission released its final report into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Things have actually got worse and there's still no justice. Come along to the National Day of Action. Stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. Black Lives Matter. Saturday the 10th of April, 1pm on the steps of Parliament House, Melbourne. Join us in the streets to demand justice and self-determination. See you there. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. 
the helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Okay, and John McPherson now on the line. John, before we go on to other matters, just a brief comment on, on that last interview. Did you hear it? And um, just, I know you're interested in this issue. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm getting a bit of feedback here. Uh, is it feed, feeding back at your no, end? Or? No, we're okay our end. Uh, okay. We're just stuck um, you up your end, that's all. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll soldier on. Um, yeah, uh, I, I was thinking... As people were describing the scale of the, you know the scale of this thing is just insane, and really I don't think from the state government's po- uh, point of view it's really about um, catering for you know perceived transport needs at all. It's really just a huge, huge make work project mm-hmm. to keep to keep the economy uh, rumbling along at, at a good pace, you know, and they're. And their um, agency for doing that is the private, private um, company, um, you know, the private consortium who will build the thing, and presumably Transurban or somebody like Transurban who will who will run the thing. You know, it's it's just just a way of generating more uh, activity in the economy, and of course in the process um, doing a lot to destroy the um, the. Um, 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 you know, worthwhileness of a huge part of Melbourne. And mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to matter at all what yeah. happens to the environment or how people live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've heard a theory, which I, I'm not sure where, whether it's true or not, um, but that the uh, construction of these um, these tollways is also for the benefit of freight companies um, because it allows yep. them to have a, a sort of smoother route. Um Rather than really commuters, which um, yeah, that's, don't, that's, yeah, yeah, that's true too. That's um, that's often put 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 forward as the main the main reason they're building them. They claim, you know, that that, that it's to facilitate commercial and um, industrial industrial transport, <laughs> it, which is laughable, really, when you look when you end up when you look at the proportion of the um, traffic on the roads that they produce in the end. You know, the amount of traffic that's um, freight. Is tiny compared with the amount of traffic that um, commuters driving to work who could go to work otherwise, or mm-hmm. the people who are simply encouraged to spend more of their life in their cars, driving driving more random trips, you know, just to make life exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, really, yeah. Um, what would be great would be if we could transfer a lot of the freight transport to rail and not have mm-hmm. to use um, these big polluting trucks. So it's yes. also not really supporting that transition. No, no, not at all. It's um, there's a lot of speaking with forked tongues goes on um, with what governments claim they want to do and what what in the end they end up doing. Uh, and Vic Rhodes and the government have a very symbiotic relationship, and and a symbiotic relationship with the uh, freight industry in general. Uh, 
and uh, the freight industry really just wants bigger roads and more of them. Thank you very much. And always uh, says we're going to freight, freight, road freight will double in the next ten years. They say mm. it all the time, and therefore that's an <laughs> argument why you've got to build more roads for them. That's right. Um, that's right. But yes. John, they also contradict themselves in many ways. They argue that these things are always going to always the panacea. They clear up the traffic problems, mm-hmm. and so North East Link's going to do wonders. Um, yet. Uh, in, in in relation to the issue out at, um, at Eltham with this roundabout, people are complaining about the mm. cables being overbuilt and lots of trees. It sounds like a disaster, really. But then in, in arguing why they still need it to be that big, uh, a bloke called Alan Garner, Major Roads Project Victoria Chief Executive, said yeah. once the North East Link was built in 2027, traffic on Fitzsimmons Lane would improve. This is one of their arguments. Modelling suggests it would return to 2017 levels. But then he said congestion would continue to get worse. Mm. We, we need to upgrade it. So he's actually saying that for a while things will ease down, but then it'll get worse, yep. which is what we always argue about freeways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, at the most you get a dip. You get a dip in the traffic levels. And the traffic redistributes itself for a while. But uh, then the traffic levels build up again and uh, everything gets back to the same level of congestion. Um, uh, That's, you know, that's that's what's been happening in big cities that are car-based for the last, you know, more than 50 years. Mm. Um, You just just provide more... You provide more capacity. You provide more uh, encouragement for, for people to stay in their cars and not... And not get out of their cars and travel another way, or or rethink the way they, um, um, you know, spend their lives, and 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 choose to reduce the amount of um, car driving they do. Um, the US is the classic classic example of that, of course, mm-hmm. where they do seem to spend an incredible amount of time in their cars, more than most other Western Western countries. But uh, America's always been a bit strange. It's a good uh, example of how design influences behaviour, isn't it, in America? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, in parts of California, yeah. like you can't, you actually just can't get mm-hmm. somewhere mm. unless you have a car. That's right. <laughs> you that's you right, can't even yeah. walk. But yeah, there's no pavement. Yeah, they're, struggl- yeah. they're struggling in somewhere like Los Angeles to try mm. and reprodu- reproduce a decent public transport system, but, yeah. but that's going to take them many, many decades. The induced traffic thing, I think, I think John John mentioned that when, when, when talking about the North East Link. The induced traffic thing is, is um, something that even now the authorities in Victoria are resistant to um, admitting that there is such a thing as induced traffic. And, you know, it's been a known concept that's accepted all, all, around, the, all around the world that if you build big roads, you induce more traffic. You just, you just don't get the same amount of traffic you just get you get things get worse and that's you know that's that's that really is you know a terrible concept that we in melbourne and and sydney are are still keen on um on um pandering pandering to i'm afraid um yeah which is which is it it is just as crazy this late in this late in the scheme of things where we know the all all the environmental issues that Yeah. Um, One interesting thing that I found out recently was that uh, so not only do cars produce greenhouse gases, but actually roads do as well. So um, asphalt on hot days also releases Uh, greenhouse gases, which is just yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, asphalt is a 
is something made out of made out of fuel. You know, it's it's a fossil it's a fossil fuel byproduct. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yep. So not only do the cars, yeah, as you say, the, the cars themselves are, are producing it, but yet so is the road they drive on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the alternative concrete is is possibly worse. It, it's producing concrete is one of the biggest CO two producing activities in the in the world. Period. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So uh, if 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 we're ever to, if we're ever to deal with CO2 emissions worldwide and do something about greenhouse gas, gases and temperature rises. Uh, a lot has got to be done in the area of concrete production as, as well as um, anything else to do with fossil fuels. Yeah. At the moment, the only concrete seems to be in the head of the planners, but that's just <laughs> um, Yeah, well... Yeah. yeah. John, moving on... The, Put us the, back on there. The... the um, Last week, the Age announced a story, um, or ran a front page story, that the big the operators Yarra Trans and, and mm. Thingo Metro Trains had copped 16 million in taxpayer-funded bonuses uh, during the COVID last year, when virtually they, they hardly had a stop. <laughs> well, it's an indication, you know, in a way, it's an indication that the system would run really well without um, without passengers, you know. It's, right. it's, it's, so it's sort of like the, get rid of get rid of the passengers, you reckon? Yeah, well, it's the same. With that, that, that's often been said about hospitals. You know, the hospitals, new hospitals, would run so much better if they didn't didn't have to be filled up with, with patients. Well, that, that was a that was an episode of Yes Minister, in that actual line. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Yes Minister sort of, sort of suits the Victorian situation pretty well, I think. Um, uh, but I can imagine the, the uh, public servants being quite pleased that just for once they were able to give their friends at the operators some some nice bonuses just for a change. Yeah, but but yeah, but you know it's it's um, it's it's a, it's a good indication of the of the of the, the, the crazy world you know we're in where where, where these people um, do benefit from the fact that they're not carrying many passengers. This is on top of the um, amount that was already given for extra cleaning that didn't happen for, for, for a while. <laughs> yes, well, let's mention, let's mention the big C word, corruption, yes. Mm. yes. Mm. And it's also over and above what they get anyway just to run the system. They get money to mm. run it, which mm. makes oh, big profit for them, and they get these bloody bonuses. Oh, yeah, yeah but incentives, incentives are what make them do even better, Kevin. You know? <laughs> but don't, why do they need incentives, John? Isn't free enterprise so much more efficient anyway by its own, by its own nature? <laughs> You're getting confused, Kevin. And I'm very, very by the sound of it. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, well, I'm just, just going just gonna to make the comment that, that, that the, whole, the whole thing is... Um, is, is so um, is so confused, you know. They, the, the government the government um, ha, has to has to have a system that looks as if there's some um, free enterprise involved, because because all governments have now got so right wing, even Labor governments, you know, that everything's got to be done in this sort of free enterprise model. Uh, but but in reality, it's uh, rent seeking is is really the name of the game, and. Uh, that means everybody's very cosy with everybody else, and everybody knows perfectly well what they're going to make out of thing, make out of the uh, the deal. Mm. Um, yeah, there we go. Mm. And if we go straight to the bottom line, so to speak, surely we could run it much. It would cost the state a lot less to run public transport if it ran it itself, would it not? 
Yeah, yeah. But that would require finding efficient managers, and they seem to be in very short supply, for one thing. And then the government, on the other hand, wouldn't have the ability to say, oh, no, it wasn't us that made a mess of it. <laughs> it was those private private operators over mm. there, you know. Yeah, although that, the government the still has to mess, mop up the mess that the private operators Precisely. create. Yeah, um, yeah and I suppose that's, that's another problem of privatisation is that um, government loses the expertise and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, loses the ability to, to run some of mm-hmm. these operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that's happened all across governments um, in the last 30 years. Uh, it, it it seems that no no area of government really knows how to run competently. Look at what's happening at the moment with the uh, the rollout of the bi- uh, the virus uh, vaccines and things like that. Um, nobody nobody seems to be able to get any sense out of the federal government about how how the process is supposed to work, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they had you know many months to get themselves organised. Uh, but 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 I think you could take that and say, well, that's pretty much what goes on within the Victorian um, bureaucracies as well. Um, I would say, particularly in transport, it's um, it's all pretty shambolic. Um, something that has appeared to work reasonably well, of course, has been the um, level crossing removal, and that's regarded as a great a great boon for public transport. But when you look at where the benefits go, <laughs> nearly all the benefits of that are going to the car drivers. Mm-hmm. But it's um, still seen as a public transport budget. So they, yes, they, yes. And, of course, they all, public transport budgets, they always say, uh, cost the government, whereas mm-hmm. road, if you build a road, it's an investment. Mm. Correct. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> a good language. Yeah, so yeah. Plenty, of that, plenty of that sort of stuff going on. And, by the way, Kevin, as we mentioned, the... Um, Transport and uh, Vic Roads are going to be pulled together into one giant um, department, which sounds exciting. Uh, <laughs> well, there's an argument for having it all together, but it depends who who gets the, who comes out on top, of course. Um, well, yeah, previously, well, think, when it's happened, the, the road authorities have always dominated the scene, the scene. Yes, and that's that's what that's what I fear will happen again. Of course, the road authorities seem to be a bit, always seem to be a bit more confident in their own. Um, uh, Abilities, and that um, they will gradually um, um, move the budget. So the proportion of the budget going to public transport will lessen, and road will gain more out of it. And um, the the end result will be even more dominance of, of um, road as the only mode of transport that um, that governments really want to consider in Victoria. Uh, public transport will become you know more and more on the on the um, on the outside, uh, I'm afraid that's how it'll go, and government will like it that way because they seem to regard the road people as being more efficient than they ever regard the public transport people. Yeah, all right, John. Mm. That's, a, that's a good cheery note to finish up on. Because <laughs> we're, we're, okay. we're, we've got to get out of here earlier than usual these days um, with COVID, but. And we're okay. having a great deal of time this morning. We'll do more next month because I, I do want to talk to you about a new suburb at Epping too, which I find interesting, but we'll get to that next month. Uh, next month. Next month I may not be yeah, available. We'll talk about it off air. Okay, we'll work it we out. We will, yeah. yeah. yeah all right, yeah. okay. Okay. All right, uh, nice thanks, to John. talk to you all. All right, thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks, okay. John. John Cheers, John Cheers there, everybody. A monthly expert, and um, there we are. Full on, full on transport show today, yeah. Yeah, next, week's, next week's our usual energy and related issues day. 
And at this stage, I've got absolutely no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't we'll know. We'll get either. there. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. And you can listen back to this show at 3cr.org.au forward slash city limits. And we're going to finish up with a song by Mojo Juju. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.